All right, good morning, church. It's me again. And if you don't know me, my name is Stephen and privileged to serve you as one of the leaders of the church. Um, just to let you know that uh, we may have some PowerPoint issues this morning. So maybe this is a good time to take out your phone, take out that journal. And if you hear something exciting, write it down. If you feel like God is saying you want to remember what happens this morning, write it down so that you can go and um, see what God is saying to you during the week. But we are in week two of a series called Get Real. Get Real. And if you've got your Bibles here this morning, I'd love you to turn to the books of 1 and 2 Timothy. We're going to be bouncing around there. If you don't know where those books are, they're in the New Testament, kind of towards the end of the New Testament. Otherwise, there is absolutely no shame in uh, looking for that index page and going and finding it there. Uh, But we're going to be bouncing around there and we'll also be talking about the different verses so that you can track with me as we look through this book. And the series is called Get Real because being real is fast becoming a lost art. All right, we get so used to living through our masks. And last week, as we introduced the series, we realized that masks help us do a number of things. They actually help us protect ourselves because we don't want to be known or there's something we're ashamed of or we don't think we're good enough. And so we pretend to be something we're not. We pretend to be happy when we're not. We we pretend to be in control when we're not. And we exude this kind of aura of everything being okay. So we're projecting and we're pretending. The sad thing about living in these masks is that we forget that we're doing this. And that the real you never gets known. So this series is about taking those masks off and getting real. The real you. And the wonderful thing is that's the best place to be. The real you and the real God, the real people around you and the real you engaging the real you because that is where reality is and that is why we're calling the series Get Real. Now, of course, there's kind of metaphorical masks and there's real masks. I mean, at the moment, all these DC and Marvel movies are coming out. Uh, Recently, I heard of a new phenomenon called LARPing. Has anyone here heard of LARPing? Check, all the young guys know what LARPing is. Um, Live action replay, a role play. Live action role play. So basically what that means is adults getting dressed up into their Marvel and DC and Lord of the Rings costumes and running around the woods with their swords and their lightsabers and uh, kind of playing hide and go seek and all these wonderful things. Uh, That may be a stereotype, but that's what LARPing is. So if you're ever running around uh, Clipperfeesburg Nature Reserve and like Jedi comes out and don't look for the TV cameras, it's just a bunch of guys from Riverside LARPing, all right? That's also a bit of a metaphor though, that we love being someone else, we love pretending to be someone else and we live in these masks and sometimes we wish we could actually live in the masks because maybe the masks seem better than reality, Now, last week we spoke about how masks are sometimes something we pretend to be, we project. But sometimes we live in equally a false reality. Something false about me that exists between me and you that is not maybe something I choose to project, but something I believe about myself that is untrue. It becomes a false reality and I live out of that false reality. For example... I've seen the most intelligent people be told by a father or a teacher or somebody that you're dumb and you're not going to amount to anything. 
And so this is an untrue thing that we step into and we believe that. Or I've seen the most beautiful people look in the mirror and believe that they are not. And the rest of the world is trying to look like them. And yet what they see is someone who's not valuable and someone who's not lovable. Where there's this false reality and somehow we live in that false mask, maybe not of our choosing, and we live out of there, we live out of that brokenness and that's how we think people see us and that's how we think God sees us and that's how we see ourselves. So today we're going to look at one of these kinds of masks in this very special way. And we're going to look at someone who there was something true about them, but because of this true thing, they came to believe a whole lot of other untrue things about them. His name is Timothy, which is why I've asked you to go look at the books of 1 and 2 Timothy. Now, Timothy was a constant companion with Paul, traveled around a lot of these churches and church planting with Paul. But Paul really looked up to Timothy. Paul thought Timothy was great. Paul thought Timothy had great character. He thought Timothy was a great leader. He got behind Timothy. If Paul couldn't get to a church, he sent Timothy to deal with the church. He sent Timothy to deal with the leaders. All right, so Timothy was kind of Paul's, in a very real sense, his right-hand man. Paul thought highly of Timothy. At one stage, Timothy became the pastor of a church in Ephesus. And the reason why we have these books, which we're going to be looking at this morning, is because Paul, kind of, you know, uh, his um, mentor is writing to his mentee and he's encouraging him with kind of some church matters, some theological matters, just equipping him to do his thing in this church. Now, here's the thing that we know about Timothy. As much as Paul thought he was awesome and Paul thought he was a great leader, Timothy didn't think he was. We know that Timothy was young. That is the true thing about him. But here's where he started believing things that were untrue about him. Because of his youth, he was so insecure. He was an insecure leader. He didn't believe he had what it took. He was afraid of some of the conflicts in the life of the church. He was afraid of some of the people in the life of his church. And he was acting out of this insecure place concerning his age. Now I identify with Timothy. I was 30 years old when we started Riverside Community Church and I felt young. I felt very, very young. And just like in Timothy's church, there were some people who maybe thought Timothy was too young and maybe there were some here who thought I was too young, but no, I felt too young. And, and for so many years in the life of ministry here, I saw myself as almost like a, a boy in a man's world. And what God's been helping me do over the course of these last eight years is to get real. You may be young, but here's who you are. Here's what I've called you to. Here's what I'm doing in you. Here's what I'm doing through you. That's the real space. Not what you think about yourself and your youth or what others might say about you and your youth. So if you're young this morning, and I'm not gonna put an age to that, (laughs) But if you're young this morning, this sermon's for you. But if you may be not age, young in terms of age and numbers, but you're young in faith, you might be in your 50s and your 60s, but only recently come to faith, this message is for you. But if for whatever reason you have an honest appraisal of yourself and you realize, well, I am getting on in years, and as far as faith goes, I am pretty mature in my faith as well. This sermon's for you too. Why? Well, for two reasons. 
all of the principles that we're going to talk about this morning are applicable to you, whether you're young or whether you're old, whether you're young in your faith or mature in your, in your faith. That's the one side. But the other side is this. If you are older and if you are more mature in your faith, you have Timothys in your life. I don't know what a lady's version of Timothy might be. Um, Tina. So you've got Timothys and Tinas in your life. They may be your sons. They may be your daughters. They may be in your life group. They may be your grandkids. They may be spiritual sons and daughters in this church. And therefore, maybe we're not speaking to you, but you need to adopt a Paul-type posture to younger people in your lives so you can be the wind in their sails and maybe they can go further than you ever went. And so in every way, this message is for all of us here this morning. Now, we're gonna look at specifically how Paul motivates Timothy, how he tries to get Timothy to take up his responsibility in the real world, stop being defined by these insecurities and he's coaching Timothy to step up to the plate and to reach higher and to go further. But what I want you to notice is that what Paul does is not what the average TV show host does. Paul's not gonna say, hey, Timothy, you're awesome, man. You've got it, bro. Just, just follow your heart and, and you'll get there and the world's your oyster. Paul says nothing of the stuff, of that kind of stuff. And yet Paul is so encouraging. Paul knows what Timothy is capable of. And Paul is in many ways raising the bar for him so that Timothy can achieve all of his potential. So how does Paul do this? Well, we've got about five points here this morning. And if you are taking notes, the first one is this. He says, Timothy, embrace the character curve. Embrace the character curve. See, here's the thing. We are in a world that celebrates competency. We love skills and skill development. And we begin to believe, and we kind of see it in some ways, and I'm not gonna mention any names. We see it on the soccer field. Right, where there's high levels of competency. And we look up to these people because of their competency. And Paul says, hey, Timothy, competency is one thing. But character is something altogether different. And you need to embrace your character curve. You see, competency shows what you can do. Character shows who you are. Competency helps you start the race. Character is gonna help you finish the race. And so for that reason, Paul speaks to him about his character time and time again. One of the more famous verses where he does this, he says this, hey, Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. 1 Timothy 4.12, there we go. Don't let anyone look down at you because you're young. Now, some of the guys on this side of the room are saying, amen. You know, I'm gonna tattoo that verse on my forehead. So when everyone looks down at me, they see that verse, right? You must respect me, even though I'm young. Here's the thing, Paul's saying, hey, Timothy, I'm not writing to those who don't believe in you. I'm writing to you. I'm saying, Timothy, this is in your control. You must not let anyone look down on you because you're young. And how are you gonna do that? You know, are you gonna assert yourself? Are you gonna tell everyone to listen to you? Are you gonna tell everyone to respect you? None of that. This is how Paul completes that thought. Don't look anyone down on you because you're young, but set an example for all the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Just by the way, if you're wanting respect from anyone, doesn't matter how old or young you are, this is a good way to do it. 
to live in such a way that how you speak commands respect. That how you do life outside of the church space, how you do love in marriage and friendship and in church and ministry and the, the least of these, how you do faith and, and how you do purity. If we're living in that way, then people can look at our lives and whether you're young and whether you're old, people are watching you saying, man, that's an example of what it means to be a real human flourishing in this world. So Timothy, if you don't want people to look down at you, do this. We also live in a world where it's kind of okay to separate our character from what we do. So we've got CEOs who believe that, hey man, business trip, time for a bit of fun on the side, right? Or we've got presidents who believe I can have multiple wives and I can have porn stars and prostitutes in my history. But you know, I'm competent, I can do the job. So when I'm in the boardroom or when I'm in the office or when I'm in the chair, when you're looking at the title on my door, you know, we put character aside and and then we bring that into the church, right? Oh, look at my competency on guitar, singing on drums. Look at what I can do when I'm doing HBC or when I'm leading a youth ministry, children's ministry, a life group. And then we step outside of the space and then we live the life exactly as we want to. And Paul's saying, Timothy, that's not how it works. We can't separate competency and character. Um, Timothy Keller, he says, the pastor in New York and uh, filled with a wide range of people, both believers and unbelievers in his church, a lot of young people as well. And, and he says often he gets two young people coming in and sitting in front of him, in front of his desk saying, uh, Pastor Tim, you know, we've been in this church for X number of years and the stories range, but maybe my parents were Christians or not Christians. But we're at this phase of our lives where we feel like we're growing away from church. We feel like we're growing away from the Lord and we're confused and we're full of doubts and, and we just thought we'd let you know. So Timothy Keller says 100% of the time, he says this, when did you guys start sleeping together? And nine out of 10 times, that's the issue. So here's what I do for the church and here's what I do on my own time. And they're separate. And more people's path in ministry have been hamstrung because of our lack of purity. And Paul's saying, hey, Timothy, you need to know this. So he comes to talking about purity later on in 2 Timothy 2 verses 2. He says, Timothy, what you need to do when you're in the situations, you need to flee the evil desires of youth and you need to pursue righteousness. See, there's a lot of time in the Bible to stand and fight. There's a lot of time where God is saying, no, 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 stand your ground and resist, just not when it comes to sexual temptation. When it's sexual temptation, you run. You hightail out of there. If you know you're about to click and you literally get out of your chair and run, there's no way you can press that mouse button. Right? Or if you're alone with your girlfriend and things get all hot and bothered and next minute you just like run out of the front door, I promise you, you'll be dodging bullets left, right and center. Uh, So we've got a Labrador. Um, Let's just keep it at that. And a cat. And um, the cat's bowl is about three meters away from the back door. And our Labrador knows she's not allowed inside, but she kind of like, you know, lies half in. And when she's lying at the back door by the kitchen, I can see where she's looking. She's looking at the cat bowl. All right. And because the Labrador eats her food first thing in the morning, the cat kind of, you know, whenever he feels like it, because cats are demonic. Um, 
Sky, she's a Labrador, she's lying there. You just see, she's like eyeing this bowl of food, eyeing this bowl of food, and I know exactly what she's thinking. All right, but there's moments that I've walked into the kitchen and she is literally lying. Her snout is next to the cat's bowl. And her eyes are at the cat bowl. And I'm not eating the cat food. All right, and maybe if there's a little crumb on the floor, like the tongue will pop out and pick it up. But I'm like, Sky, what are you doing, man? You're tempting yourself. And Paul is saying, listen, when you're in a situation like that, run. Don't try to stick around. Embrace the character curve. Competency is going to help you start the race. Character is going to help you finish. Competency shows you what you can do. Character shows you who you are. So Timothy, young Timothy, embrace the character curve. Number two, if you're taking notes, embrace Timothy, a firm foundation. One of the many ways he says this is, is in 1 Timothy 4, 6. If you point, remember he's speaking to Timothy, he's a young leader in the church. If you point these things out, a lot of stuff he's just spoken about to the brothers, the people in the church, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truths of the faith, brought up in the truths of the faith and of the good teaching you have followed. Now I know from time to time, whether it's been a life group or maybe a ministry team leader scenario, some of you have gotten really irritated with Craig and I when someone comes, you know, hey Steve, what do you think about this book? Or hey Steve, what do you think about such and such a pastor? What do you think about what's happening at such and such a church? Well, we need to be very careful as to what we say about some people. Sometimes our response is, "Uh, I don't know about that. See, while I'm not responsible for what he teaches over there and what he or she writes, we are responsible for you guys and we care about firm foundations because foundations matter. So much hard in this sort of celebrity culture, celebrity Christian culture, and yet foundations matter. The problem with foundations though is that foundations aren't sexy right? We look at a new building going up in Sanson, the Discovery Center. No one's going, oh, well, what's happening underground? We're all going, wow, you know, they've got Starbucks. And it's like, we're all looking at the building and how beautiful it is. No one, aside from Gary, he's an architect, is thinking about the foundations. Foundations aren't sexy. And some, you know, sermons, we love the happy sermons, We love the sermons that make us feel good. Nine steps to do this and four steps to a better marriage. And we love those sermons. And the Bible's got so much to say about this stuff. We need to be saying it. But on average, young and old, by the way, we get rather bored in foundation sermons. Sermons that are about the foundations of our faith. We don't get excited about that stuff. But here's the thing. Foundations determine the size of, and the capacity of the building. Think about it. Foundations determine the size and the capacity of the building. Do you know that the leaning tower of Pisa was never meant to be the leaning tower of Pisa? It is simply meant to be the tower of Pisa. (laughs) What happened is as they were building, they got to, I forget, but the fourth or the fifth floor, and then it started becoming the leaning tower of Pisa. And instead of stopping construction and going in and securing those foundations and strengthening those foundations, they carried on building. And now that building, other than being a landmark for guests or visitors, is a useless building. 
And I think when it comes to our Christian walk, there are so many leaning towers of pieces. Right? Because the, the, the building's sexy. The ministry's sexy. You know, being in a leadership team, having, you know, people under my care and I get to speak to kids, I get to speak to youth, I get to lead, I get to go on conferences, I get to be on the stage or I get a mic and, and you know, that's the sexy stuff. But man, something in our life shows that we're beginning to lean and instead of stopping and going and fixing the foundations, we just carry on building. For some of us, the reason why you're cracking, the reason why you're leaning, the reason why some of the wall of your building is falling down is nothing else than your foundations. Maybe the best thing that you can do in your life is to go and secure those foundations. So Timothy, if you want a big building, if you want a big ministry, you need to embrace a firm foundation. Number three, if you're taking notes, so Timothy, you need to embrace your true identity. You need to embrace your true identity. Here's a quote I love. We always act out of who we fundamentally believe we are. Stephen, what on earth does that mean? We always act out of who we fundamentally believe we are. Again, we're so good at projecting. We're so good at pretending. We're so good at wearing masks. So we look in the mirror and we're like, mm, looking good. Right? And we eat the right foods and we cut our hair in the right way and we wear the right clothes and put on the right makeup and, and we look at ourselves in the mirror and, and we know how to wear this mask of confidence and we know how to project this kind of aura of, again, got everything together. We get so used to that. But most of you, if not all of you, will know those moments come when all of that is peeled away and you come face to face with who you really believe you are. And while you know everyone looks up to you and your strength and your, your authority and your power and your money or whatever, man, you know that you're insecure. Or you know that at the core of it, you believe that you're unlovable or unforgivable. You're not blank enough. You're not strong enough. You're not beautiful enough. You're not clever enough. And if that is who we fundamentally believe we are, regardless of how we pretend and project, we will always act out of the actual insecurity rather than out of the mask. And we will do love and life and faith out of the false self rather than the get real self. So this is the way Paul tries to help Timothy, this young guy, get real. He says here, 2 Timothy 1.7, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity. Hey, Timothy, yes, you're young. But when you feel shy and when you feel insecure and when you feel timid and when you feel like you don't have a voice and when you are lacking courage, that is not from God. That may be your own voice. That may be a voice of someone in the church. That may be the voice of your father or your mother or a teacher or someone else that you trusted who told you that. But when you hear, hey, you're nothing, that is not from God. Let me tell you what is from God. God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. I wanted to notice here that the way things would most often play out on a talk show is, hey, Timothy, don't be so shy. Believe in yourself, right? You've got it. You can do it. Something along those lines. Paul doesn't try to show Timothy how awesome he is. He tries to show Timothy how awesome God is. It's not about self-confidence. It's about God-confidence. 
It is, yes, about taking your eyes off your own failings. But instead of trying to pump up your own confidence, looking at the God who is big and who is in you and trusting Him. And here's the irony about this all. Those who do this best come across as so confident. Why? Because they're not thinking about themselves. Every morning they're waking up looking at a great God who is in them. They're asking, how do I do this, God? I'm gonna trust you. If you open a door, I'm gonna walk through it because I trust you. If you're calling me to a challenge, I'm gonna trust you because I trust what you put in me. And I trust Jesus that you are the one who has overcome every challenge. It's not about self-confidence. This is about God confidence, which builds a really strange confidence in this life. The next area that Paul tries to help Timothy get real, he says, Timothy, embrace your calling. Embrace your calling. Two verses. Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by following them, you may fight the good fight. In another verse, he says, Hey, Timothy, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying of hands. Now, we don't know exactly what happened, but evidently there was a moment in Timothy's life when he was younger, when he was in a church community and some older leaders came around him and they said, hey, Timothy, we've got a sense of what God's gonna do in your life. That's what we call prophecy. And, and they gathered around him and they prayed for him and they were in agreement and they said, yes, we believe this is exactly what God is wanting to do in this young man's life. They laid hands on him and they prayed for him. And evidently something happened in Timothy. Evidently, whatever they prayed for started showing fruits. And Paul says, hey, Timothy, I, I want you to remember that moment. Because here's the thing, we get so distracted. Maybe some of you can think back a time in your life and ministry when you were so passionate about God, but now, not so much. Maybe you can think back to a time in your life when you were so passionate about the things of God. And man, you would stay up late and you would get up early and you would go anywhere for the cause of Jesus. But these days, man, there's just like nothing in you that wants to do that. So Paul is saying, hey, Timothy, I want you to remember that moment. I want you to remember that passion. I want you to remember not what someone said to you. I want you to remember what God said to you what God is wanting to do in your life, what God is wanting you to do through that and not just, hey, just remember that moment and move on. No, I want you to act on that now. Look at some of these verbs here. I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies. I want you to be in keeping with that. I want you, there's another word there, to continue with that. I want you to pick up, you know, your socks and I want you to keep going. I want you to fan that into flame. From time to time, I'll light a fire for a bra, a good old South African bra. And I love a wood fire. And I'll make a big fire and then I'll kind of get distracted. And I'll get distracted making supper or I'll have a bath or a shower or the kids need saving or you know, something like that. And then, oh yeah, the fire. I'll go back to the fire and there's almost nothing left. Do I start over? No. Let's find a few little twigs, dry twigs. Find a hot coal, put that little twig on that hot coal, find another one, start blowing on it, just a little flame. Find some slightly bigger twigs and I just add that fuel onto that fire. Now the flames, you know, size of a soccer ball. And then I start adding again some bigger logs and bigger logs and bigger logs onto that fire until I've got the fire that I want and then we can have that beautiful South African bra. 
Some of you need to do that with your calling. We're waiting around for the passion just to happen automatically. And Paul's saying, no, 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 go fan that into flame. Breathe on it. Allow God to breathe on it. Just take something, just a small thing, and just take that small thing, that small seed, that small bit of energy, and just put it on that flame and blow it and see what happens. And then take a slightly bigger step. Be in keeping, continue in that. Blow on that, see what happens. And before long, I'll guarantee you, man, there'll be a flame burning in you. And you'll be so passionate again for the things of God. So Timothy, do this. Embrace your calling. And finally, Timothy, embrace a shaping community. What do I mean by that? 2 Timothy 3 verses 14. But as for you, Timothy, continue. Again, there's that word. Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you have learned. So here's kind of the objective teachings, the firm foundation. Here's your passions. But man, Timothy, I want you to continue surrounding yourself with people who know you and you know them and they're gonna encourage you because Timothy, you can't do this on your own. For many of us, and I include myself in this, some of us older people here, again, we won't put an H to that, but nonetheless, many of us grew up in an era where going to church was kind of the done thing. Being part of a church was kind of what culture did, unless you're a total rebel. Most of us just grew up going to church, maybe like my parents. Uh, my parents were regularly going to church, so whether I felt like it or not, I was going to church, and I'm grateful for that. But if you haven't figured out, the world has changed. There is no social pressure to go to church. In fact, the social pressure is in exactly the opposite direction. What on earth are you giving up a Sunday morning for? That's for sports, golf, getting over your hangover. Come on, what are you doing? Go and listen to this bald guy shout at you for an hour. Like, why would you want to do that? Sing some songs. Man, we've got iTunes for that. Right, everything in our culture is kind of like, why be part? I mean, even if you've got this faith, man, it's a private thing. That's between you and God. You don't need to live this thing out. And Paul says, hey, Timothy, listen, you can't do this on your own. You don't need another podcast. You don't need a new Hillsong album on iTunes. You need people in flesh and blood around you to strengthen you and encourage you. And some of you are feeling that passion grow cold because, man, you come to church, I love the phrase ninja Christian. You know, come in quietly, no one sees you and leave before anyone sees you. I see you. Okay. I, I lie. I, I'm actually, I, I don't see anything on a Sunday. I really don't. People are like, did you hear that baby? No, I didn't see we're kind of like we come to church and then we quickly come in, quickly go out and maybe three weeks later do the same thing, four weeks later do the same thing and then we wonder why we've got no love for God and we wonder why it's so easy to lose our passion. This is why we believe in gathering weekly, not legalistically because man, I need flesh and blood around me to be my strength. This is why we believe in life groups, small groups, you can call them what you want, we call them life groups. For a reason, it's life. There are people that I see week in and week out and sometimes I feel like it and sometimes I don't feel like it. But man, when I need them, they're there for me and when they need me, I'm there for them. People I know, people are gonna speak into my life, people I give permission 
to speak into my life and hold me accountable and be part of my success in this world, especially in life and faith. So Timothy, embrace a community that's gonna shape you, where there are leaders, people you can look up to, peers that are encourage you, that are going to encourage you, younger people that even you can take and be part of their success in their future. Be part of this, guys. Be part of this, Timothy. So I wanna scare you as a church with a, a get real quote. Something that freaks me out, and I know it freaks Craig out, by a guy called Eddie Gibbs. The church is always one generation away from ceasing to exist. Just look at those words. The church is always one generation away from ceasing to exist. See, church, if we fail at being Paul to Timothy's and Tina's. If we fail discipling our children and not getting them to go to church, discipling our children in the faith so they stand on a firm foundation and they are passionate for the things of God in this world and they are able to stand on their own two feet of faith and they have a community around them. If we fail to do that, it is not too long and this church will not exist. You see, the the reason why Paul is so passionate about taking a young man like Timothy and pouring himself into him It's not just for a nice youth group. It's not just for a nice kind of HBC. Bunch of kids coming and playing around the sports fields here. It's not for a nice RPM service. It's not for something to keep our kids busy on a Friday night. See, what motivates Paul most is the cause of the gospel. He's saying, this is eternity. These things matter. There is judgment and there is joy to be had. There is something that every single one of us needs and that is to be connected to our heavenly father and be living out of that identity. And therefore Paul is so passionate about pouring into this Timothy generation. And we as a church need to be passionate about that. Every single one of us, not just Craig and me. Because the church is always one generation away from ceasing to exist. Now, earlier Daryl spoke about HBC and and we're gonna do something a bit different this morning. HBC stands for Holiday Bible Club. And this year is gonna be our biggest HBC yet. And for a kind of a small church, I mean, we're having 300 kids coming here tomorrow. 300 kids. We also have 50 leaders that are sticking up their hands saying, I wanna be part of their future. And we're going to pray up a storm and we're going to trust God not just to babysit these guys for the next five days. So many people my age can look back at holiday Bible clubs as a moment where God touched our lives. And that's what we as church leaders have faith for for these, for these weeks. Yes, they may be seven, eight, nine, ten years old. But we have faith that God will touch these young people's lives. There are about 200 families represented by these 300 children. I hope that freaks you out. I equally hope that raises your faith. Man, imagine God. Imagine God touched those kids' lives and impacted their families' lives. 
guys, why are we believing for any less than that? But you've also got a bunch of young people, our Timothys and our Tinas, who need our support, who need our love, who need our encouragement, so that they in turn can feed down into these young people's lives. And guys, I'm praying as a church, and I hope that this is on your agenda to pray every single day this week. Let's pray for bigger things. Let's just not pray that the Oros won't run out. Let's pray for heaven to invade earth. Let's pray that God will catalyze something in young men and women's lives, including these guys' lives. That'll change them forever. And I literally mean forever. And that whatever seeds are planted in their lives will change their families' lives forever. And because of what's happening this coming week, there are going to be pastors, church leaders, missionaries, Christian business leaders, Christian teachers who have a firm foundation and passion in their hearts who are going to change the world because of what happens in the next five days. Why should we pray for anything less, right? So come HBC leaders, come join me on the stage. On the stage, guys, on the stage. We all want to see you.